Hey, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. We are in a series entitled Jesus Loves You, and we entitled it that because it's true. Jesus does love you, and we want everyone to know how much Jesus loves them. And so we're just walking through encounters uh, that Jesus has with other people. And this is story number four, encounter number four, and you can follow along in, in your text this morning. And kind of as a, as a way of setup this morning, let me try to tell you kind of uh, from like a non-biblical perspective in a second, like what the story is doing here. It's both personal and corporate. It's giving a corporate message of what the gospel does, but it's doing it in such a personal way. In another way, what this story is doing is, I don't know if you guys have ever been in one of those environments where like everybody lines up on the, on the gym floor or something like that, and then they ask questions, and they're like, if you, you know, ate breakfast this morning, take a step forward right? But they're, they're more geared toward trying to show the differences that exist in the group. And so they might be like, if you're, you know, when you're a kid, if your parents have two cars, take a step forward. If you have a cell phone, take a step forward. Uh, if you have an Android, you lose two points, take a step back, right? And, you know, like things like that. And, and you know, if you running water, you, like all of this. And then, and then at the end, you look and everyone's kind of scattered around and Kind of the idea usually in these kind of team building things is what might unify us? What might break the walls through, uh, the walls that have been created? What might, might, might bring this together? And in this story this morning that we're looking at, I don't often have titles for my sermons, but if I did for today, it would be this, the transcendent nature of the gospel. And what I mean by the transcendent nature of the gospel is the way the gospel breaks through the, the natural rules or the natural laws that we create and how the gospel just moves right on through it. Because what we're going to see in this story today, uh, probably more than any of the other stories, is that if from a worldly perspective, Jesus and the woman he's going to encounter were playing that game, then what would have happened is Jesus would have stayed back there and the woman would have walked to the other side of the stage. And they would have looked at each other and said, well, there's probably nothing that could bring us. There's too many barriers or the distance. Uh, I know I'm switching my metaphors. The distance is too big. Or if this was like a, like a karate metaphor, like there's like too many bricks and you don't know how to break them all. Like there's too much dividing. And what this story does is it shows the transcendent nature of the gospel to break through all that typically divides that which divides humanity, that which divides cultures. And then in it, it's just showing a beautiful story of Jesus loving a particular person, a woman of Samaria. And we look at the story, the opening part of the story, and it says that uh, Jesus was traveling. And in verse 4, it says that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the line there, he had to pass through Samaria, doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus like had to in the sense of like it was physically required for him to get to where he wanted to go. He could have gone the long route, and a lot of people would have gone the long route. Uh, instead of walking straight, they would have just taken a detour. But the, the verse there, he had to go through Samaria, was like, showing an internal thing, a compulsion that was in Christ to get to Samaria. Now, 
I will reiterate this or, or revisit it maybe in a little bit, but the, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other. And, and some of the text indicates that. And there was a lot of history that was between them. And in the encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well, there are uh, five things that divide them. Gender, male and female. Ethnicity or race, depending on how you're using the word, Jew and Samaritan, right? Social structure or class, rabbi, outcast. The woman's past, you have Jesus, the perfect sinless man, and the woman who, uh, I'll explain a little bit more how she may have gotten to where she was in life. And then uh, fifth, religious religious differences. And so here you have, right, like, like every one of those things, it's like, let's take a step, male and female, let's take a step, Jew and Samaritan, let's take another step, uh, right, spotless past, not spotless past, uh, a woman outcast versus rabbi, Jewish rabbi, right, like the divide just keeps getting, what could possibly bring that divide together? And in this story, then, we see what typically divides us even in our current day. I mean, the first one, the gender difference. Look at the story. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Then if you hop over to verse, uh, what is it? 27, you see, just then his disciples came back. This was after the little encounter. And it says, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar. They want, the, the story makes it pretty clear. There's a difference here. She's the woman, she's the guy. Now we have to under, or he's the guy. We have to understand uh, Jewish culture a little bit, particularly rabbinical culture. And that was that uh, rabbis, most rabbis, and particularly strict rabbis, wouldn't even talk to a woman in public, uh, not even uh, for some, the most strict, not even their, their wives or their, or their daughters, okay? Wouldn't talk to them. There was actually, get this, it's kind of funny. There's actually a group of rabbis that are known for like, lack of a better term, like the bloody-nosed rabbis, okay? And some of you are like, I get it, right? They ignored their wife and she hit them, okay? No, that wasn't it. They were called that because when they were walking through public, they wouldn't even look at a woman, and so they would close their eyes and walk into things, okay? They were basically my son August right now, okay, right? Every 10 seconds, bangs his head on something, right? Now, this is the culture. So Jesus shows up after potentially a 50-mile walk. He's exhausted. He sits down at the well. I mean... It's hot, right? And, and he he's sits down, and, and the nature of it is that, like he's worn out, and he's kind of just like sitting like next to the well, leaning on the well, his hand, and, 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 and just exhausted. And the disciples go into town. And so there's a tired Jesus, tired, thirsty Jesus, sitting at the well, middle of the day. Now comes this lady, this woman, woman of Samaria, right? They're in Samaria. And by the way, a little bit of the history just to set up the context. Uh, when the Jews had been under Babylonian captivity, they got taken to Babylon, but they left the, the lowest of the low behind because Babylon didn't want to be troubled with the outcasts. They didn't want, think Hunger Games, they didn't want the capital to be filled with those people, right? So they left them out in the outskirts. And those people that were left out in the outskirts, 
they ended up marrying non-Jewish people and they created the Samaritans. That's where the Samaritans came from. They were half-breeds, mongrels, right? This is what people would have called them. And so there was historical tension there. And this tension was wide. So, uh, of course, the first one here, we have the, the gender tension. Maybe go, where did this gender tension come from? Well, Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, sin breaks into the world, and, and we're told that there's going to be gender tension now forever. That in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered in, it broke down God's re- relationship with man's relationship with God, man's relationship with each other, and man's relationship with each other in all of these different areas. And most of Genesis is just going to walk through the different breakdown of these different areas. And so here it starts with gender, and it is breathed into life in Genesis chapter 3 because sin enters into the world. And it gets deeply rooted into the culture. Now Jesus shows up, and the disciples are going to be shocked that he's talking to the woman. All right. How could you have a conversation with Like, why, why would you do that? And Jesus is going to do two things here. Two things in particular for this woman uh, that when we understand both the culture in general and then the personal nature of her story that are amazing. First thing is this, Jesus is not going to objectify her. The disciples are going to show up and they're going to go, it's going to say, they're not shocked that he's talking to them and they're also not going to ask, what do you seek from her? In other words, their, their perspective of Christ's character is such that they wouldn't even think that he's doing something inappropriate. So he's not going to objectify her. We're later going to find out that she's been married five times and she's currently living with a guy that she's not married with, okay? And that the reason that she's showing up to the well when she is, there's only really two logical reasons. I mean, it's possible that this is just a happenstance, but, but culturally, in the way Jesus is telling the story, there's probably only two reasons why she would have been at the well at that time by herself. One might be that she's shady. And two, right, that she's an outcast. One of those two things. She's either trying to avoid people or like the woman of the city a few weeks ago, you know, she's going out the city to see if there's anything out there, right? Those would have been the two possible options for somebody like that, okay? Uh, Kind of like from a cultural perspective that we could have conjectured. And Jesus is going to show up and he's going to meet her and he's not going to objectify her. And he's also not going to ignore her. He's not going to objectify and he's not going to ignore her. Typical rabbi, what would they have done? Look the other way, turn the other way, walk the other way. Religion would have compelled them to do so. Not Christ. He's going to step in. The difference is right. The gap is so wide. And Jesus, the religion wouldn't have had a paradigm for how Jesus was going to do this. And Jesus is just going to step in and he's going to start to bridge the gap that already exists. And in this, we're seeing again how, how, how the gospel, uh, and we're going to see this through all five of these categories, how what the gospel does is it begins to bring things together that we think must be divided, and it shows us the true path to bringing those things together, and it's never the way we would fully understand. See, there's going to be one text later uh, that the Apostle Paul is going to be writing, and he's going to use this line where he's going through the unity that is found in the gospel and in the cross, and he's going to say this phrase, there is no male or female. Now, what that doesn't mean is that Paul's like, there is no gender. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that in Christ, we become one. And, and Paul is going to elevate this idea. 
And, and by the way, if, if the disciples were shocked that Jesus was talking to a woman, he's going to be much, they're going to be even more shocked as Jesus' ministry goes on. And he's going to continue to talk to women and to heal women. And he's never going to objectify them when he does it. He's never going to be looking for something more than he should be without integrity. He's always going to be honoring them and he's not going to ignore them. And then he's going to actually invite some of them into an inner circle. And then the first person who's actually going to proclaim the gospel after him is going to be a woman. And then they would have been shocked to think that years later that the church of Europe was going to be planted through a rich single woman named Lydia. They would have been shocked that Paul was going to refer to some women as deacons. And Christ is going to show in this one story, it's a personal story, but it's a corporate story, how the categories that the world creates... And then, the cat, and then the pathways that the world tries to form unity around these things, the gospel comes in, breaks right through them all. Because even in the scriptures, and the St. Paul who's going to write that is also later going to write and appeal to the complementary nature of man and woman found in Genesis chapter 1. And oftentimes, when we look at these two verses, Paul, what Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy and then what Paul writes in Galatians, we say, well, these things must compete with each other. Okay, Paul was writing out of both sides of his mouth, but the gospel never puts things in neat categories like we do. What the gospel always does is, 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 is it doesn't say right is right and left is, is right or right is right or left is wrong or that. But the gospel just creates this whole new category. And Jesus breaks right through it here. So everyone's shocked he's talking to a woman. He's not ignoring her. He's not objectifying her. Why would you even talk to her if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for that, for one of those reasons? And Jesus steps right in. Why was it? Because Jesus loves you. Because Jesus loved her. And so Jesus just steps in. The gospel bringing things together. Now, the story makes it also very clear, what? That she's not just a woman. She's also what? She's a woman of Samaria. Now they step out. She's a Samaritan. It even says in there, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. We have all of this racial tension and years of history, years of not getting along, years of being in our own little enclaves, years of you don't talk to us and we don't talk to you. We built our own temple. The Samaritans did. That way they didn't have to go and worship there. They actually cut the Bible off. The Old Testament Bible had five books where the, um, the, the Jews had 22, which is our 39. And so they, 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 they had done everything they could to isolate themselves. And so all of this racial tension is like undergirding this entire story story. Like it was even kind of like for Jesus to even go to Samaria was already like, why are we doing this? Why would we go there? Why would we go there? Because Jesus loves them. And so Jesus shows up now and she's a woman of Samaria. And, 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 and the racial tension here is as thick as anything that we could imagine in our current culture. Jesus is going to talk to her. He's going to have a conversation with her. And you're going to see that what Jesus is going to do in this is he's going to appeal to something that is universal. And then later he's going to say that his appeal to something that is universal has to be rooted in a truth. What is Jesus teaching us here in this story? How he's teaching us how the gospel breaks through all ethnic, racial tension and divide. That the world again will have its reasons on why we have to be divided on these things. Oh, and then what Jesus does here in this story just shows how they bring themselves back together. One of the things that Christ is teaching us in this is that the gospel is uh, transcultural. 
It breaks, it transcends right through culture. There's not a black gospel and a white gospel, an Asian gospel and a Latino gospel. There's one gospel. And the, and, and the gospel is transcultural. It breaks through. It means there's not a white truth and a black truth and an Asian truth and a whatever else truth. There's one truth. There's one gospel. And the gospel is, it's transcultural. It breaks right through it. Now, the idea of the moment, right, was even in this moment and the idea of our current moment that we live in is that there's like, there's no standard for truth and, and we have our truth and you have your truth and they have their truth and they have their truth and everyone kind of has their truth from their cultural perspective or lens. And Jesus is showing right here, nope, the gospel just breaks right through. There's one, one gospel. The other thing uh, that this is doing, not just showing us that it's transcultural, but it's also showing us, Jesus is showing us here, the pathway and the only pathway to racial harmony and unity. That it isn't found in the philosophies and the theories and, uh, and, and the agendas that, that, that uh, come up, that we create, that are human-made methods or, or anything like that. I mean, in this story, they've had thousands, of, it's been a long time, maybe a thousand years or so, of tension here that is, that is underneath all of this story, right? And they, they, they've created their own little circle so that they don't have to intersect anymore. And Jesus is just so confident in who his heavenly father is and what he's about to bring to this woman that he's just gonna step right through. He's gonna kind of ignore the political joke that the woman makes and he's going to step right through him and he's just going to present the gospel. Believing that it can unify. That the pathway, the pathway, the one and only pathway is the gospel. In fact, Ephesians chapter two and, and three, we're not going to look at them in, in, uh, in great focus today, but we will look at them in the series that I'm going to tell you about uh, that we're going to do next um, are the most important words ever written when it comes to race relations. Ephesians chapter two and Ephesians chapter three and how the gospel shows us something different. And so here then, the, the gospel breaks through. Uh, it's broken through the Samaritan barrier. It's broken through the woman barrier. And Jesus, we're just gonna keep on going. Jesus is just gonna keep on going. Now he's gonna get into what, what would be the social barrier. And, and what we learn uh, about the woman later is this. Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. In these two little words, and then also, or two little verses, and then also in the, the previous verse that it talked about how the woman was showing up, when she was showing up, we see the next two things that should have divided. One is social structure. And so here we have Jesus, the Jewish rabbi. He's got a group of people that follow him everywhere you go. I mean, you got to have like a certain level of gravitas if there's like 12 people that are going to walk with you all over the Middle East with you. So there you have Jesus and that, and he's in this social structure. And then there you have the woman, the outcast, and hers. And what does Jesus do? He just steps right into it. Again, showing us how the gospel brings together things that the world says need to be divided. And when the world is saying, okay, no, you take a step this way and you take a step that way and you take, and then Jesus says, hold on, let me show you something universal that brings us together, the gospel. And this, this woman, she's standing there. And, and again, imagine that this is just a routine day for her, right? A routine day that's gonna, uh, 
leave everything in her life. She shows up at the well. Jesus is there. He's engaging in the conversation. And again, every time he begins the conversation, he's going to appeal to something universal for her. He's showing us that there's something universal underneath all of these things that we think that divide. Now, in the church, uh, how does this play out? How does this part of the gospel play out for us? You guys remember that documentary that came out about 15 years ago? Um, it might have been a little bit further than that. It was um, just a study of kind of humanity. It was called Mean Girls. Remember that? Okay. And in the opening scene of Mean Girls, some of you haven't seen this, in the opening scene of Mean Girls, it's a movie about a high schooler. Uh, she walks in, and it shows all of the different groups sitting around the cafeteria, and she walks through all of that. And, and it's, it's funny, and, and, and you watch it because it's true. Because you see it, and you go, yeah, that, that's, that's just how society works. People break out into their little groups. And social structures don't mix. And this is the third thing that typically divides. And what Jesus is doing here in this story, and by the way, what Jesus did in the careful selection of his 12 disciples, is Jesus, instead of walking into the cafeteria and saying, hey, I want everybody at that table to come with me, Jesus walked into the cafeteria and said, I want one from that table, and 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 one from that one. He did that 12 times. Well, actually, there's a couple times where he called multiple people. And that's the team he said he wanted. What was he showing from the beginning? He's saying the group, this thing that I am building, all of the things that would tend to divide us, even the social things that would tend to divide us, I'm going to bring it together in one thing, the gospel. Groups forming together. Apart from the, that, that outside of the gospel, you would look and say, this doesn't make any sense. I've said it this way a few times. Until you have some church friends that outside of church you would never be friends with, this part of the gospel hasn't worked its way in you. It's like if you were out somewhere and you were with people and they're like, oh, those are my church friends and we're sitting there and your other friends came in and they were like, what, what, what is it? What, who are you with? Right? They'd be like, oh, they're my church friends. And they'd be like, is this like community service? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I'm like, no, we're, we're friends. Why? Because something has brought us together. The gospel. Other biblical writers would um, help us understand how this gets implemented in the church so that the church reflects what Jesus had intended. One of them says, show no favoritism. In other words, don't elevate uh, the rich over the poor. Right? There's a, um, another story in the scriptures that it was talking about communion and how that was happening and how the breakdowns were happening beforehand. Uh, and they were like... Uh, not acting uh, as a one community, but they were acting as a divisive community and then coming together and saying, oh, let's take communion together. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. No, 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 you can't act all singular together. And then like when you take communion together, say, oh, let's pretend like we're all one. He said, no, you always have to be one. See, in Ephesians chapter two and three, the, the unifying chapters that I talked about, it talks about how when sin entered in the world, what it did is it just began to break everything apart. When sin entered into the world, what it did is it, it took humanity that was one, right? And now there was diversity in that, right? God created male and female. So we see from the beginning that there's an element of diversity that God is for, right? He created male and female. But then when sin entered in, uh, and then as sin kind of like continues to move, that all sin always wants to do is just continue to divide. So let's use gender. Let's use race. Let's use social structure. And then what the gospel is doing, what Christ is doing, is he's taking it all and he's bringing it back in. He's bringing it back in. 
And so what the church then becomes or is supposed to become is this reflection of people who would never get along outside of Christ, who would never be friends outside of Christ coming together because they have something more beautiful and they've been unified in something. And Jesus actually takes it, or Paul takes it to this in Ephesians. He says, it's not just, uh, you probably heard the verse like there is one spirit. Okay, sometimes I think we hear the verse there is one spirit and this is kind of what we think. Like God gave this great motivational speech and we're all unified around one vision. And that is true, right? Because there's one spirit inside of us. But Jesus uh, and Paul take it a step further when he says, it's not just that there's one spirit that's like motivating you toward unity. He said that in Christ, you actually became one. So you are now one. So the male and female became one in Christ, the divide. The racial divide in the gospel then became one the, the social structure guide uh, that, would, that would divide us everywhere else outside of the country becomes one. And that the whole gospel is what it's doing is taking all that is fragmented and it's bringing it into one. And that's what the story is telling us. Now, the, the next thing that would have broken them down or, or could have created division and often creates division in our own world is our past, is our past. Because much of even that little game that we're talking about, a lot of it would be like, you know, some kind of like, have you ever committed a crime? Or have you ever, whatever. And they ask questions about your past, right? And again, they're like, oh, well, so we're different because of our past. And I'm not saying our past doesn't inform who we are and all of those types of things. But it's another thing that, that sits there as a way to divide us. And Jesus hears about this woman's past. And it says in here uh, that she's had five husbands and that she's living with a guy that she's not married to in the moment. Now, Sometimes, maybe you've heard that it, like she had affairs or, or she cheated on these guys and that's how she ended up in the way. And the text doesn't say that, so we can't draw that conclusion, right? And, and probably, had she done that, she would have been stoned because that was their you know, rules, right? And so uh, what's probably happened here is we can't fully conjecture why she's had five husbands, okay? Maybe she's barren. Maybe she's just been abandoned. Maybe some of them passed. Maybe they just divorced her because they were sick of her. We don't know. All we can arrive at the conclusion is what? No one wants to arrive at this place. No one wants to arrive at this place. And in, in, in now her living with uh, the guy that, that she's not married to, like, yeah, we know that's sin, right? Like, she's doing that, yes, okay, but um, her options in that are what? From her cultural perspective, right? To, to have money, she either has to become a sex slave or she has to join up with a guy. I mean, that, those are her two options, economically. And so regardless of, of how all of this ended up, she is at this place now that no one wants to be, and she's bringing this past right into this moment with Jesus. And Jesus, instead of like all of the Pharisees that we've read about in the other text, Jesus is just going to look right at her, and he's going to do what? Clever. And he's going to teach us something else, that the past people's past that we often use so much to divide us, Jesus says, no, I can cut even right through that. And there's actually something beautiful in this part of the story, by the way. This is it's just kind of like story notes. That um, the, the woman, she's had five husbands, and she's with her sixth guy right now, and, and Jesus shows up. And so Jesus would be the seventh guy right there. Um, and in, in Jewish and Samaritan culture, because they would have read the first five books of the Bible, seven is the number of completion. And so it's like Jesus is showing up, and he's saying, I want to complete what's been missing. Let me be, let me, let me, let me be the the one guy that you've been looking for, but not the guy that you think you've been looking for, but like a different thing, but let me complete something that's missing. 
What else is also going on here, by the way, is that um, any reader of this story would have known that, particularly at that well, that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the first five books, particularly in Genesis, when a man and a woman met at that well, what was to happen? They got married. There were stories of that. And it's like when Jesus meets her right there at that well, it's like he's saying, I do want to give you a marriage, but it's not the marriage that you've had. It's a different kind of marriage. I want to call you into something more, something beautiful. Step into it. Despite the the gender breakdown, despite the racial tension, despite the social structure, despite, despite the past, Jesus just keeps taking a step in. The last tension that would have existed is religious tension. And they actually joke about it in the text. You can't read, we don't really read it as jokes, but they were kind of jokes. And, and she's kind of being, speaking in jest with Jesus about the Samaritan religion and, the, uh, and Jesus uh, and the Jewish religion. And it's built on a lot of history. And, uh, and, and, and the woman says like, oh no, we, you guys say this and we have to do this. And, and Jesus just steps right through that too. Religious tension. I mean, goodness, we know religious tension, right? And so even in this, then Jesus says, where there's religious differences, this one thing can speak and step right through. So what is the one thing? What's the thing that that takes all of the things that divide us, that take all of the things that tend to put us all on different, you know, um, steps around the stage if we're playing that little game and just brings us together? Let's read it. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Jesus uses the most beautiful metaphor in this story when he's trying to show us how he brings all of these competing things together by appealing to the thing that is universal to everybody. What? Their need for water. Who needs water? Men and women. Who needs water? Black and white. Who needs water? Rich and poor. Who needs water? Good past, bad past. Who needs water? Muslim or Jew or Muslim or Mormon or whatever. Everybody. And so Jesus appeals to this universal thing as if to tell us that there is something universal or there is something that transcends all of the divisions of the world that breaks right through it. And as you continue to read through this story, you find out what is the water. It's Christ himself, the gospel, the seventh man, the completed one, the new type of marriage, the new type of relationship, himself as the thing that would sit underneath all of it. And as we read this story, I think what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to build these uh, understandings for us. And one of the understandings is exactly what we've been talking about, the, the transcendent nature of the gospel, to not fall into nor believe the lie that somehow the gospel isn't enough to bridge the divides. See, the world that we live in right now wants to tell us that. 
No, we have, to, we, we have to create like another gospel or we have to have like a cultural understanding of the gospel in this way. We, and what it does is it ends up just throwing a bunch of things on top of it. And what Jesus was teaching in this story is, no, this gospel, me, I am enough for all of the divide. I'm enough for all of it. The second thing it's teaching us here is the transformational power of the gospel. That this woman, I mean, you would have walked up. It's just another day for her. She's just coming to the well. She's done this every day. She always does this. There's probably not that much excitement there. That's why she went there. There wouldn't be anyone else there. It's like you going for your morning coffee, right? You just do it every day. You don't expect something life-changing to happen when you pull into wherever it is that you get your coffee. And she is doing this every time. The moment that she meets Christ, right, transformation begins to occur. And for me, as I was reading this story, it was convicting for me because it, it, it is easy, isn't it? It is easy sometimes to think maybe this, maybe this gospel isn't as powerful as I think. Maybe it can't actually help that person or those people or people caught up in this or that or, or, or somebody who's four steps this way and three steps up that. Maybe it can't. And this story is the reminder, no, believe in the power of the gospel. Let it change people. And then the third thing that it shows us is after this woman is transformed by the gospel, she just starts sharing it with everybody. The testimonial nature of the gospel. One scholar called this an accidental revival. Like Jesus just showed up, he's tired, and he probably knew what was going to happen, right? That's why I said he had to go there, but he just kind of sits down and the woman shows up and he, he shows how much he loves her and she just can't help but going and telling everybody. And it's like the whole city's coming to Jesus. The testimonial nature of the gospel, of sharing the story of what Jesus has done. And we see in this, in this one story, both of these like kind of cosmic ideas and picture of Christ showing us the true power of his gospel to break through all of the divide and to bring together one unified thing. And then we see in the story, the great love of a savior king who would travel to the heart of the place that he was probably most unwelcomed, that he would walk right into it that he would deviate his path, that he would do what no one else in his status would do, that he would sit there and he would wait, and that he would strike up a conversation with somebody who would seem so far, and he would point her to the truth of who he was. And in that way then, it ought to compel us or remind us of the great personal love that he has for each and every one of us. And my hope would be that if this moment is not that moment, that on your next little journey of your routine day that Jesus will show up in such a way that reminds you exactly as he did for this woman how much he loves her or how much he loves you. And that you would just experience his grace in a moment that would do exactly what it did for that woman. And then, like her, you just had to tell people, look at this thing I have found. Look how amazing it is. Look how he knows me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to believe in this gospel so deeply to not believe the lies of the world, the enemy, that tell us that this gospel no longer has power to transform, that it no longer has power to unite, 
Instead, may this story reinvigorate us with, our, uh, with a passion, with a faith and a firm commitment that we do know what the world needs. We do know what the water is that never runs dry. We do know what everyone is after, the universal solution, your gospel. And Father, I pray that our church then would reflect, would reflect the community that you were talking about in this story, a community that works through all of the things that tend to divide to be a reflection of you. And Father, I pray that each of us would know, as this woman did, the deeply personal nature of your love at exactly the right time, stepping into our lives, offering us exactly what we need, completing something in us. We're grateful for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.